Hello and welcome to the Football Collective Podcast, a football research podcast for debate, discussion, highlighting members of the collective, their research and all things football within the world of academia. I'm joined on this episode of the podcast for the first time by two guests, Dr Daniel Plumley and Dr Rob Wilson from Sheffield Hallam University to talk about the January transfer market and all things football finance. But before we get onto that, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves, your journey through academia and uh, how you come to join the collective? Uh, yeah, sure. So so I'll start that one, Josh. Um, I, my background, I've pretty much, Sheffield Alma are yet to get rid of me. So I started as an undergraduate student on sport business management, went on to do a master's and then uh, Rob actually supervised my dissertations and, and was fortunate enough to interview for a PhD upon completing the master's uh, in the area of sport finance, which ended up being a football finance PhD measuring um, sporting and financial performance in the English Premier League. And again, halfway through that was was fortunate enough that a lecturing post came up and went for that, got that. I think that was around 2012 and, and have never really looked back since. So yeah, I teach across the finance modules uh, alongside Rob and we do all of our researches around applied financial analysis in professional team sports amongst other things so yeah that's kind of my background purely in academia to date um but have thoroughly enjoyed it so far so yeah so if you hadn't guessed that was dan um i'm dr rob wilson uh, i'm now uh, head of subject for sport business management at, at sheffield hallam so dan's part of my team i've got about 16 academic staff here researching a variety of different things all broadly linked to um, obviously sport management, but more more frequently professional team sports and understanding how um, different dynamics and narratives appear in professional team sports, whether that be finance, marketing, human resources, whether that's then all the way down towards grassroots and how that's funded. Um, so I've been at Sheffield Hallam since, uh, well, as a student since 98, so I'm showing my age a bit now. Um, joined the academic team in 2003, um, and I've then kind of steadily gone through the ranks. And Dan was really uh, the kind of watershed for us at the university in terms of how we might start to do more research in uh, in and around football finance. So, of course, he had this uh, opportunity to do his PhD. And I think since around about 2013, when we wrote a paper on the impact of ownership on financial and sporting performance in professional football clubs, I think that was really the the start of, of our research activity, I guess, in and around uh, the economics and finance of decision-making in professional sport generally, but in football in particular. Um, and it's allowed us to start analysing things like the financial health of the game right the way from uh, from the Premier League all the way down into, into towards League One and League Two. We've got an emerging research theme around competitive balance and understanding how competitive balance or imbalance of uh, of European football and the big five leagues is having an impact on um, on football's finances. Um, and then both of us now do a huge amount of work with the, the mainstream media, both in the UK and internationally now, commenting and offering some sort of expert opinion on how and why football clubs make certain decisions. So it's quite timely that we're doing the podcast based on uh, the January transfer window this year. Um, and why, I guess, teams didn't spend the sorts of monies that, that they have done in the past. And I think reflecting on that is, is quite interesting, particularly when you consider how you know, television deals work and commercial endorsements have, have gone up. And of course, 
the Deloitte Football Money List that came out last week and detailing about how profitable some of these um, these big European super clubs are becoming. I think you asked as well, Josh, about the Football Collective, didn't you? Just in, in kind of a, to answer that question, um, that was a, a personal relationship between you, Rob, and, and Dan Parnell originally, and uh, and Dan pitched the Football Collective to, to Rob, and, and he asked me to get involved with that as well and sign up to the network and. And certainly over a short amount of time, over the last three or four years or so, that's that's really grown and taken off. And I was fortunate enough to be uh, at my first football collective conference in, in Glasgow uh, in the November just gone. So, yeah, looking forward to to being a part of that moving forward as well. Brilliant. Um, so you mentioned about clubs not spending money. If we just go on to this, this window that's just finished yesterday. Um, we've seen quite a lot of loans in this window, uh, quite notably Higuain's gone to Chelsea. There's been some strange sort of football manager ones as well, with Peter Crouch going to Burnley, Jermaine Defoe going to Rangers, really out there sort of transfers nobody would have seen. Um, and then we've got the saga of Benatovic to China, Fellaini's gone to China, but then the only two really, three really big stories is Pulisic joining Chelsea, but that's not on until the end of the season. And then Wolves and Newcastle breaking their record uh, transfer bid. So... Why, why do you think clubs are uh, reluctant to spend money, especially this year in this window? There's loads of discussions in there to unpack, I think. We try and take those one at a time and naturally blend into each other. Um, I guess, broadly speaking, and Dan and I have written about this fairly extensively in the past, you, you, you will always tend to see more money get spent in the summer because of the way teams look to try and you know, redefine their objectives for the for the season. And that's even more possible when you've got a settled management structure and you know, the football collective does a lot of work around the sporting director model, for example. And, and we're starting to see the impact of those sporting directors that are looking at uh, player acquisitions much more strategically. So rather than just going out and buying any player because they've had a, a, a managerial change, they're buying much more strategically. And that's why you know, I think Man City put a deal through yesterday uh, for about seven million quid and they've loaned that player straight back to Hadjik Split. Um, that's all about kind of future planning and, and where those players might go. Um, you've then got this interesting issue with the with the broadcasting arrangement in the EPL. So as of the 1st of August, we're moving to the next cycle. Um, and anybody that's listening might know that the that the deal's lost about half a billion in terms of its value. So it's been, the domestic deal at least, been around 5.1 billion over the last uh, I think it's three years. Um, that's dropped down to about 4.6 billion. So there is naturally a little bit less money kicking around. So clubs are being a little bit more astute about where they might put that money. And I think that then has coincided with um, with the number of loan signings that we've, um, we've, we've seen. Um, I think we probably picked the Newcastle discussion up in a little in a little while once we've heard what Dan's got to think about the um, the reduction in the January window. But we, we would always see a, a naturally smaller deal um, or smaller set of deals go through in January. Um, and I think this, the, the really big finding for me this this winter is it's the the first time that the value has dropped since about 2012. Um, yet it comes at a time when commercial revenues are up, match day revenues are up, and I think it is these these teams future planning uh, against a lower income from uh, from broadcasting rights, but also because they're a little bit nervous about the impact of um, of Brexit uh, and what that might have uh, what that might have in terms of implications. But also, you know, remember, the pound is worth much less against the euro. So European teams have traditionally always charged a premium 
uh, for English talent or for, uh, or for sorry English clubs or Europe or UK clubs buying from uh, European markets and of course those premiums are now even more expensive because of the currency exchange rate. Yeah I think that the, the long-term nature of decision making is really important that's something we've touched upon throughout this window. Um, you mentioned Pulisic as an example that's a long-term um, decision by Chelsea to, to buy that player now to loan him back uh, definitely one for the future. I think if you look at the values you know, around £180 million spent in this window. Um, contrast that to last year was, was £430 million, which was a record winter window. But even then, you look at some of those deals and they've been set up for a long time. So, so Van Dijk was one of the biggest ones this time last year. But that deal was in place the, the summer before. It was just it didn't go through at that stage. So clubs are looking at this a lot more strategically, a lot more long term. I suppose the other thing that I'd tag on in terms of broadening the discussion is is where's the value in January as well and is there a perceived lack of value in the market at that point in time you mentioned a couple of the the short-term loan deals um Defoe to, to Rangers and, and Peter Crouch to Burnley it's it's obviously important take Scotland out of it for a minute but we know that there's a, a big financial benefit to staying in the Premier League linked to the broadcasting deals minimum 100 million pounds whichever way you cut it so you know Burnley taking somebody like Peter Crouch who's who has got a proven record in, in the Premier League and, and might score you a few goals. If that keeps you up, that's a particularly good investment for Burnley on a short-term basis. So, yeah, I think clubs are trying to balance that that long-term objective in the, the first instance, but also if there is a need to go into the market now, where's the value um, and what's the perceived lack of value potentially in the market in January? Do you know on that Burnley thing, though, don't you think that... Um, what's what's really interesting about that is that, that Burnley have looked at trying to find somebody that is proven in the Premier League with Peter Crouch, and you know they've tried with Sam Vokes for the last couple of years. I think he's perhaps not just been able to raise his game to to that Premier League standard. hasn't scored as many goals. Burnley, of course, have struggled much more than they ever have done, and and I think um, that Sean Dyche has actually just thought, you know what, we need some more experienced Premier League quality, and, and perhaps he thinks he's going to get something from Crouch. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've seen that in the past as well, haven't we? I think we did a, a piece for the conversation this time last year or, or maybe two years ago. And we, we cited Crystal Palace as an example, maybe two years ago now, where they, they spent quite a lot in January, but on proven players. Um, and that subsequently kept them up. I think they jumped up five places in, in the league table, if I remember rightly. Uh, and keeping that club up is, is worth minimum £100 million um, due to the broadcasting cycle. So if you look at that against in terms of you know almost a cost benefit analysis all right the investment might be short term and it might be pricey i'm not sure of the, the the exact uh, figures behind the crouch deal in terms of wage structure and allocation etc but you know a proven player in that league might score you a few goals burnley have struggled in that area this season uh, and as you say sean dyche has probably thought you know what we'll go for somebody that we know um is proven in that league and and that can be the difference in in the short term you watch Championship football, though, don't you? Being a Sheffield Wednesday fan, yeah, so, and, I, and, I, and I see much less of it. So, has Crouch been playing for Stoke? Has he been scoring for Stoke, or is he is he still playing on the bench? Is he still coming off the bench? Yeah, he's Josh might want to chip in on this one as well, being uh, a fan of a club that's much higher up in the table than we are. Uh, he's not played that much, has he, Josh? No, he actually came on against Leeds, um, which which I'm, I find quite strange for someone who's been uh, playing for a mid-table championship club to then be brought in almost as a, a bit of a saviour for a Premier League club. It is quite strange, but whatever works for uh, for Sean Dyche. 
<laughs> well, the the other thing is always the player as well, isn't it? I mean, we there's one or two that we've just noted down in terms of uh, China and, and Fellaini in particular. You know, if Crouchy's not playing at Stoke, um, what a great opportunity for him to, at his stage of his career, to, to go and play Premier League football again for a few weeks. And, um, and you know, if he does score goals and, and has an impact, then great for him as well. Yeah. Probably a fairly cost-neutral deal, I would have thought, for Burnley yeah. as well. Um, with, with sending Sam Vokes yeah, the other way. Yeah, going the other way. Is, there, is that what you think the, the main difference between the January and the summer market is then? Trying to find more value and trying to find something that works more in the short term. I know we've mentioned a lot of long-term deals, but um, is it something that people in January think about to be more strategic than you would be in summer? Yeah, do you know what struck me about this year's uh, Premier League? Because that's obviously where the you know, the, most of the spending is always driven. There's, although there's been a huge amount of activity in the Championship, I think, particularly with a load of loan signings and that. Um, what tends to drive that winter window are the, the clubs that are struggling towards the bottom end of the league. And I can't remember a season where those teams were so tightly packed together. Um, you know, you're talking about a three-point swing can get you into, uh, you know, to safety, I think, at the moment. And what those clubs are probably looking at is, historically, they might have thrown the kitchen sink at it in January. But, you know, Fulham invested, I think, 130 million quid last summer. So they haven't got any more money to spend. They, they've, they've spent their, you know, entire Premier League payment. So they've, got, they've almost got a gamble and say, we've, you know, we've done it now. We've spent the money. We're going to have to give it a go. Um Burnley historically don't spend a lot. Huddersfield don't spend a lot. And I wonder if those clubs are just looking at themselves and and those com- the competitors around them not spending and thinking to themselves, right, well, we believe our first team squad is probably a little bit stronger than yours. We don't need to dip into the transfer market, save for the odd, um, the odd loan deal. And I think the only one that really stands out that hasn't behaved like that is Newcastle United. And I think that's probably more, um, you know, Ashley try and use his utility maximization model because he's you know, historically hasn't wanted to spend any more than the club earns and as people that study financial management and financial decision making we're probably sitting on the other side of the fence to most newcastle fans because you know the business model there is is working albeit on that um, that the fans aren't necessarily happy with but him going out and splashing that money this month i think is the one that bucks the trend for me at the bottom end of the league um and, and i honestly think that's less about relegation directly more about protecting the overall value of the club should he decide to sell it in the summer yeah absolutely and and you can't one thing we can't get away from is is that those wider issues and you know we've we've done stuff in the past you mentioned the paper on ownership structure etc there are these these variables that come into it that often get forgotten forgotten about around um transfer windows be it summer or winter i think there's another thing to tag on to that not just owner objectives and and Mike Ashley in Newcastle as an example but because we're talking about the the short-termism versus the long-termism of these deals because the window's so tight in January you you often get these circumstances I think Idrissa Gay was an example of this late last night where PSG came in with with about a 27 million bid really last minute and Everton haven't got enough time there to secure a replacement and you know often these deals don't go through for a number of reasons and, and one of those reasons is because even in, in January take the whole month it's such a short term in short time in football terms can you have you got that time to secure a replacement with everything else that's going on if you need a replacement to make the deal work and and there are one or two examples that we saw yesterday where deals fall through because because the selling club just hasn't got a re- time to line up a decent replacement we haven't seen a lot of managerial change either have we 
um, in the Premier League this year. You know, there are there have been a couple, but normally you would have expected, you know, four or five managers probably to have lost a job by now. Um, particularly those that are in the bottom end of the of the table. So what you've then seen in this short term basis that we're talking about is that new manager comes in, doesn't really have enough time to to really look at a, a, you know a long term playing acquisition. Mm-hmm. So we'll spend. 20, 30, 40 million quid on signings that are probably quite costly, but are going to give them that short-term bounce that that manager needs coming into a club. And I think you said a minute ago, Dan, about um, Swansea City a few years ago, you know, changed manager, um, I think twice before Christmas, um, spent 18 million, stayed up. Um, Newcastle did it historically a couple of years ago, Crystal Palace um, and so on. The only club I think that's really messed that up recently is probably Sunderland, actually, but there's a whole bunch of other issues that have have contributed to that. Yeah, And the one that springs to mind straight away there in terms of this window, you mentioned about not necessarily manager change, but but take Higuain at Chelsea, quite a clear example there, and and Morata being um, shipped out to Atletico Madrid on loan. Quite a clear example there of somebody spending... I'm led to believe that I think there's a 30 million deal on the table for Chelsea for Higuain to move permanently in the summer if they want it but that was Sarri's man he had him at Napoli uh, he for whatever reason Morata wasn't doing what he wanted him to do Giroud's been out of form so to go out and and buy or not buy but loan with the, the option to buy a really expensive costly acquisition uh, but is proven towards the latter stages of his career but has scored goals around Europe is is a prime example there of a manager perhaps holding the final sway but yeah if managers don't change during that window does the squad change if you're happy with what you've got do you just stick and say okay we'll we're happy with this and we'll look to a longer term view in the in the summer yeah i guess don't as well we shouldn't forget this year we've had where well, there have been a couple of managerial changes that might normally stimulate some acquisition in january uh, i'm thinking of southampton uh, and of manchester united in particular those two managers have inherited squads that were underperforming. They've had almost like a bounce. The, the, that managerial bounce has been there. So I guess they've not even needed to, to dip into the January window and, um, you know, add all of that together, you know, with the fact that money is going down in the summer, with the fact that currency is all over the place, yeah. that those teams are quite tightly grouped together. And I think that's probably, you know, culminated in what is, you know, a record-breaking quiet window. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, you're right. Absolutely right. And, and the... The, the upturn in performance at Manchester United is a prime example of that. And it's often, you know, we could cite one or two examples here. One thing we haven't touched upon is not who do you buy in January, but who do you not lose? So mm-hmm. so Martial being tied down to a new contract at Manchester United, um, rejuvenated a little bit under Solskjaer. You know, there are other examples. Hazard for the, the short term is, is still at Chelsea. It's often the ones that you keep rather than, than who you buy as well at this time of the season. Wenger once said that he thinks the January market should be taken away. Uh, and this is kind of when he brought in the, the idea of financial doping into the mainstream. But what effect would this have for a, a club that, that might want to sell, that might famously do business in January? And what effect would it have in general for the, the economy of elite football? It's a really interesting question, isn't it? I, I think, you know, if you look at historically the the... January market and I, I was listening to, to Five Live late on last night driving back and I think it was Mark Pugash that he missed he missed the good old days and what he was talking about there was he mentioned that the really panic buys like you know Rubinho moving on 
deadline day when Manchester City bought him when the Abu Dhabi group had just taken over. Even though he thought he was going to United. Even though he thought he was going to United. And that kind of, uh, you know, Berbatov went through really late in the day, one particular window. And and I think what this comes back to, again, is, is clubs taking that longer-term view on it now, being a little bit more logical, if you like, in, in their business decision-making, linked to all of the stuff we spoke about. Um, and, and, you know, you can look at the figures. If you look at the figures this year, as we've said, you know, Rob just, just coined the record-breaking quiet window. There's, there's probably an argument to say, do we actually need a January transfer market anymore? I think that's, that is a fair shout. And, and what impact would that have can, can go both ways? Is it better for a squad to be settled throughout the course of the season is one argument. I suppose the counter-argument is always, you know, what if we've not talked about injuries or things like that or other factors that can affect it? that potentially might mean that you absolutely need to go into a market at some point mid-season. Um, but I think the, the figures would show that, that January is a lot, much more quieter than the summer for a number of reasons. So there probably is a fair argument to take to take it away, in in my view, based on what we've seen over the last few years. Yeah, I reckon Wenger's just, he was just overly cautious and very prudent and much like Ferguson before him, didn't really like the idea of having to pay a premium for a, for a January transfer because the the competition for that single player if they become available is really really high um, you've got clubs that are participating in Champions League so that would then increase the value of a, of a player that was try, they were trying to acquire from a team that hadn't played European competition um, I think it's the, the January window by contrast to what Dan just said I think it's really important I think it's important from from a fans and a board point of view because if you lock teams into a single summer transfer window, then you're basically saying that the manager that you've got is going to have to see through his through his contract for the year. What happens if you know that manager really doesn't work and that the playing performance is so poor that you need to make a change? Then the, you know the, the new manager coming in can't make any additions to his squad. You've, you you said there, Dan, didn't you? About um, if a player gets a bad injury, you can't then um, add anything to the squad. So I think my view is that January is relatively important and it will always command this premium which is why i think we've seen a much quieter window because clubs of this year haven't been prepared to do it and i just look at tottenham hotspur you know first premier league team i think in history never to have spent in a in a season's in transfer window, window so yeah. no money in the summer no money in january yet harry kane's out until i think we think middle of march start yeah. middle of march you know that's a big big risk for a team like spurs to take when you've got um you know, right, Chelsea aren't playing so well at the moment, but Manchester United are certainly on a resurgent bit of form. Um, the battle between the top two, um, you know, those those next two places for, for Champions League are going to become very, very hotly contested over the next couple of months. And, you know, Spurs may well look back on, on their decisions this, this year and think, you know, should we have added to the squad? Um, and so I think January is really important. Yeah. Um, and and, and it, well, I think the upside... Um, from a fan's point of view and from the board's point of view, probably outweigh the, the downside. But you know, yeah. we can be we can have a difference of opinion yeah, from time to time. Absolutely, I completely agree with the point on Tottenham Hotspur. I suppose just while I was thinking there, and, and we've chatted about this in the past, another question to throw into the mix is: we have a transfer window for players. Should we have a manager window? You know, does 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 that would that work in a similar way? I, I don't know the answer to that, but you have a fixed period whereby players can move uh, twice a season, but managerial change can happen at any point so there are obviously pros and cons to, to that kind of thing as well but what we do know is that that naturally has an impact on particularly short-term performance and you know, no greater example of that at the minute than, than Manchester United and, and the fact that they're unbeaten since uh, 
Solskjaer took charge and, and the way in which he's rejuvenated that team, which is essentially the same squad of players. Um, and it's important and we can't look away from that, whether or not we would ever get to regulating the manager um, merry-go-round as much as we do players. I, I don't think so, but it's an interesting question. So you mentioned the era of uh, Rubinho and Berbatov, that sort of era where Harry Redknapp would rock up at nine <laughs> with an hour left and, and he'd, he'd do some dealings. Um, yeah. I think that sort of era kind of commercialised the January transfer market and especially deadline day. Um, to what extent do you think it has been commercialised and has it had any effect on the deals that do go through? It's made, it's made Jim White more famous than he would ever have been. Um, <laughs> Sales of yellow ties have certainly gone up, haven't they, in, yeah. in January? I, I think it's become commercialised, definitely. It's become a, it's become almost like um, uh, like a celebrity show, um, like a reality TV show almost, hasn't it? As you know, as the as the time ticks down to the to the January transfer window and Sky push more yellow content than they've ever done before and you know and then deadline day appears and people seem to be glued to the screens or the or the mobile phones and you know you only need to look at the content on social media you know twitter yesterday was awash with you know deals that were getting done rumors of players moving um you know i know certain sheffield wednesday fans that just kept refreshing their um, Twitter feed to see what was going on at that football club with Bruce coming in, and you that, were probably was, one of them. That wasn't me, just for the record. <laughs> um, um, and and that of course gives lots and lots of companies an opportunity to to engage and to to bandwagon on that, whether that's a sponsor for you know a Sky Sports um, ident before the uh, before the TV program comes on, whether that is um, Sky selling some advertising space for the commercial break between um, between whatever's going on, but but also the kind of structure that goes around that um that transfer window so you know people have to work much harder in all the clubs and at the at the premier league or at the english football league to make sure the deal sheets get processed properly um and i, I wouldn't say that's necessarily a bad thing um you know it's it is much more structured now um i think the wind the window shut in at 11 o'clock last night but if you had your deal sheet in before then you still had a couple of hours to do your paperwork and yeah. and all that type of stuff i think just fuels the excitement which in turn stimulates interest in the game and if you're stimulating some interest in the game they're more likely to buy a sky tv package so you know has it happened by chance probably have then sky and, and, and other um commercial entities jumped on the bandwagon quite quickly absolutely and, and you know it's, it's made it a fixed point in the in the premier league and then in the in the english football league calendar isn't it everybody looks towards the 31st of January or whatever it was, 9th of August for the Premier League and probably later in the summer for, for the rest of the league. And yeah, there's certainly a commercial element to it. Yeah, definitely. I'm changing my mind on my previous answer now. I, I, I quite like it from a, a fan point of view, if nothing else, take out aside the, the research angle for a minute. Um, yes, it's been commercialised, but yes, it does give opportunity for it. And, and you know, big companies, you know, we're talking football as a business nowadays, absolutely big companies and big businesses will always exploit that. And, you know, why should they not? It's, it, it is synonymous now with the English football calendar. January, as Rob said, is, is a massive thing across the board. You know, let's not forget people, average day to day people take days off work to, to <laughs> sit there in front of Sky Sports News. You know, Madness. you see these people that that have taken a day off work to, to sit there and watch Sky Sports News all day. And, and you think to yourself, that's just bizarre. Um, so, yeah, it does stimulate wider interest. And, and I suppose in, in a roundabout way, that can only be good for the game, the clubs, 
in general terms, uh, albeit it makes them a lot busier. But yeah, it's become so commercialised over the last uh, maybe 10 years or so now. And even though we've had a quiet window this time around, people have still been talking about it. So you mentioned about deal sheets. That seemed to be one of the big go-to uh, phrases last night. Mm-hmm. Um, are you all right just to tell us what a deal sheet is and, and what this means for clubs? Yeah, essentially, it's just a instead of having the old verbal agreement that you know may or may not have taken place. The, um, what the governing bodies have done is said, you know, let's have this in writing somewhere. So all you all you basically do is you, you kind of agreed to to transfer a player the. The transferring club, so the selling club, will sign that deal sheet and will say what the, the value of that transfer is worth. The buying club will do exactly the same, um, and then the player has to sign it as well. So you need those three signatures on it um, to make sure that the, that gets lodged. And, it, and as soon as that's lodged, that says you know the deal for all intents and purposes is over the line. But there, there are a whole bunch of other administrative functions that need to be need to have taken place. So if you and and the purpose of it was to, to try and help clubs that were. You know, really pushing things down to the wire. So the the Harry Redknapp type idea that you you know we've just talked about, and you know sometimes you know you, we'll often talk about domino effects in football transfer terms. So if one of those dominoes gets removed, so a player decides, you know what, I'm not going to move, or I'm going to, um, or I want to stay uh, at the at the club I'm at, or someone else has come in, that can break deals down. So if you've got um, your deal sheet in, um, it just allows you to then have that extra little bit of time to. Um, to get things over the line. Uh, Sky made a big big thing of it, didn't they, last night? Kept explaining it and had a couple of screenshots and Dharma Chef got quite excited about it, I think, um, before I went to bed last night. And um, Yeah, it's just a piece of paper, Josh. That, They're not like, <laughs> like three signatures and, and an agreement on a transfer fee and, and it just, it just formalises something that is going to happen. Um, so I would imagine Crystal Palace used it for Batshuayi um, because that deal got, you know, ran right down to the wire, and there been there would have been a few more, I'm sure. Yeah, I think Markovic to Fulham went through after the deadline, didn't it? So there were two deal sheets in. One was uh, Batshuayi to Palace, and the other one was unknown at the time, but it turned out to be uh, Markovic from Liverpool to Fulham for about 1.7 million, I think. So yeah, again, not it's just there as a, as Rob said, just a, a kind of backstop, if you like. Um, to get that deal over the line, but not a not a really late flurry of activity uh, last night compared to previous windows. So, um, just one final question for you both: um, Do you think you can really find value for money in January? Core oh, question. Not in the Premier League. Um, not if you're buying. I think everybody has, and and has, and the longer the the window closes down the less value you will ever find in it. So teams that tend to go right down to the wire um, will tend never to find value. The only time you can do it is if you've got a club that's absolutely desperate to sell. So um, I don't know if you've seen the documentary on um, on Sunderland on Netflix, but you know they, they track the January transfer window there and they're desperate to get a player out because of the wages that he was, he was on. And that fell through, I think, at the last minute. But um, so sometimes if you need to get rid of a player to, to help your financial position, um, there might be the odd deal to do, and of course Redknapp was famous at finding those, but um, but not really in the Premier League. I think where the value is to be found is down in the Championship. Um, and I know I've been teasing Dan about his allegiance to Sheffield Wednesday, but I think you know Sheffield Wednesday found some real value yesterday, um, both in the two loan signings, but also the player they brought in for about half a million quid. And that's because you get these superfluous players that are just a little bit 
they're not good enough for their uh, to make that first team necessarily week in week out. They want to be playing football. That is their absolute drive, um, and a bit of cash into some of those clubs makes a huge amount of difference. So I think Premier League no value, Championship League one, League two is probably some something to be found in there. Yeah, so it's a fair summary. I think to to, to tag on to that in in terms of I suppose it depends on what you perceive as value and who are the actors that we're talking about in that situation. So a couple of examples from, from yesterday and one from yesterday and one from the wider market, just in terms of some of the figures, take the batch Y deal. Um, for example, we're, we're led to believe that there was an offer for, for Tottenham to take batch Y. Um, I, I'm led to believe that that um, full fee, if it was to be a full transfer, was around 35 million. There are questions about then would Tottenham obviously pay 35 million for somebody that will be second string to Harry Kane let's, when he comes back? Is that value for money? I think the loan deal that was on the table with Tottenham and Chelsea was Chelsea wanted £8 million for Tottenham to loan him. I'm led to believe that that went through at £2 million for Crystal Palace. So you've got the politics of Chelsea selling to Tottenham versus selling to Palace in that respect is one example and you know I don't think 35 million if you take that figure for Batshuayi would be value for money the other one that, that Rob's just touched upon in terms of the championship I, I just cite Bournemouth here as an example they spent 31 million pounds on two uh, English players Solanke went there for 19 million and they also bought Chris Meppham from Brentford for 12 million which in time you know that fits with their business model it, it albeit English talent is expensive in the current market, we know that, even young English talent, but that fits with their business model in terms of what they're trying to do, who they're trying to bring in, the manager's philosophy as well. So you might look at that in a few years' time and think that would be relatively good value for money. And and you look at Brentford in that example, the club that he's come from, have been famed over the last few years for buying players that they perceive to be undervalued in the market from lower down the leagues and then selling them for... Um, a, a lot of profit further on. And if you look at the players that they've signed and, and where they've sold them to, their ability to generate profit from um, transfer fees is, is second to none, particularly in, in the English Championship. So, yeah, there is value to be had, but perhaps it's not right at the, the top, top end uh, and some of the big transfer fees that we see going through. It's, it's more further down the league structures. Brilliant. Um, thank you both, both for your time. Um, it's, been, it's been brilliant having you on. Uh, pleasure, Josh. Anytime. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Enjoyed that.